Hey guys, welcome back to Junior Doctors Corner. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Today, I am very excited to bring you this special episode for Valentine's Day. The interview was done with Dr. Eric Richmond and his lovely partner, Leah Costello. This is an interesting episode. It's nothing that we've ever done before. So it's the first time we've interviewed two people at the same time on an episode. And this time the topic is on relationships. So Dr. Eric Richmond is an emergency physician as he will introduce himself shortly. He has been dating Leah for a few years now who is not in the medical profession. So we are going to be talking about the challenges that they went through together as a couple and how they overcame them. Enjoy! Hi, Eric and Leah. Thank you so much for joining us on Junior Doctors Corner. Welcome to the show. So um, to start off with, can you please tell us a bit about yourself as individuals and as a couple? So I'm a, um, just coming into my third year as a specialist in emergency medicine. I work in uh, southeast Queensland. I um, have a real interest in junior doctor's wellness uh, and pipeline issues in particular. And it comes down to some experiences I had as a junior doctor, uh, predominantly as an intern, but also as a junior house officer. And then that led me on a path that's involved the um, uh, PMCQ with intern accreditation. I've been involved in industrial relations advocacy with uh, with actually both unions that, that represent doctors and I'm a part of the MOCA 5 negotiating team. So my name is Leah. Um, and apart from dating a doctor, <laughs> which comes with its own challenges, um, I am non-medical, so I am in fundraising, but I'm in fundraising in the health industry, so to speak. So my entire career has been fundraising, either marketing communications in fundraising or fundraising itself. So started off in um, Marta Foundation, so fundraising for Marta Hospital here in Brisbane, and um, was there for seven and a half years. Had a little side gig helping my mum and dad who set up their own charity called Man Up Australia. Um, and then when my dad got really, really sick, I left MARTA and have now joined my mum. Um, touring with Man Up. So a little bit about Man Up is we do education and awareness about prostate cancer. And we take a big educational roadshow around Queensland, visiting roughly 71 regional and rural communities around the state and down into New South Wales. So just super quick presentations. We work predominantly with mines and councils and local groups like Lions Clubs and Rotary um, and just educating men on the prostate and what it is, what happens to it when it gets cancer. And tell us a bit about how you guys met maybe, um, you know, a bit about yourselves as a couple, like as a unit. So I am a true bona fide Tinderella story. We met on Tinder. Don't give me that smile. <laughs> that is our true story. <laughs> so I came out of med- medical school and life in general cost me my first marriage. Mm-hmm. And part of that um, kind of personal trauma around that, I don't think anyone comes through that as a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. I then found myself um, newly single with 
baggage uh, as a junior doctor, mm -hmm. and it is very difficult to find your way through uh, a romantic relationship while you're also trying to get onto a program, work your way through your exams, mm -hmm. and all of that. And so there is a, a difficulty in how do you have a life at the same time that you're trying to establish a career that's quite demanding and all-encompassing. The simple solution as a kind of heteronormative cisgendered man is that you date nurses. And that has its own issues. And, and there are real challenges if you're going to date in your own workplace. Mm -hmm. um, when it works well, it's wonderful. But if it doesn't work well, then it becomes a real challenge. And so when you've got very little time, you're left with what becomes the norm, and mm. I'm certainly not a millennial by any stretch of the imagination, but you find that online meeting people who you would not otherwise meet becomes the reality, and, and the reality at the time, years ago, was Tinder. There are apparently other ways of doing it now, but um, yeah, that's how we, we met, and um, Leah came into my life right as I was gearing up to fellowship exams. And so early dates literally involved flashcards. I think the joke is that by the end of the uh, by the end of that, uh, Leah felt that she. I could, could have sat that exam. <laughs> I could have sat that exam and been an imposter doctor. So I would have aced it. <laughs> so um, it is. It is a real challenge. It is a real challenge to find yourself in that situation and. I think that there's a real advantage to those who come into medicine already in a relationship, mm -hmm. but then so much changes as you go from a non-medical person to a medical student to a junior doctor to a registrar that you're almost not the same person mm -hmm. as you go through it. And mm -hmm. so your relationship has to then morph, yep. and that becomes a real challenge. Okay, so Eric, you alluded to some of the challenges that um, Leah had to face, where, as particularly the start of the relationship, because you were going through your fellowship exams. But Leah, can you tell us a bit more about you know other challenges that you came across in the relationship? You know, um, being with someone who's in the medical profession whilst you're not. Yeah, um, I guess like I'm, I didn't start dating Eric when he was a junior doctor. He was a, a senior edge. And at the time, he was based um, up in, in Toowoomba. So on top of working a normal shift, he had quite a lot of travel time on either side of that. Um, and also, you were doing predominantly night shift, like 8 p.m. starts or 9 p.m. starts. I can't remember, through to whatever it was in the morning. And we were literally shifts in the night because um, by the time I got home from work, he would have already left. And by the time I had left for work... Mm -hmm he was still coming home from night shift. So that was always a bit of a, you know, trying to find time to spend together is not as easy as, oh, well, you've got the day off, I'll just take the day off because Eric would generally have to sleep because he was going on to night yeah. duty that night. Um, so it was just, for me, getting my head around the different shifts and the shift work because you don't have someone who starts work at nine and finishes at five and is home for dinner and has weekends off. That just doesn't <laughs> exist in the ED world. Um, you know, you'll have a random Wednesday off and you, you very rarely get weekends off and when you do, you, you relish them. So I guess 
me and my background, I was very much a project planner. Mm-hmm. Um, so we figured out very quickly that it was just easy for me to not stalk but to have access to Eric's calendar, yeah. <laughs> which I could then stalk. Um, <laughs> and, and find gaps in his yeah. calendar and go, oh, my God, you have a Friday off mm-hmm. is like – and he'd be like, yeah, I've got Friday off and I don't start work on Saturday until, you know, 1 p.m. I'd yeah. be like, can we please go to dinner? That would be great. The really sad thing about that is is that this would be in December and his first Friday off would be in February. So we were booking things sort of six to eight weeks in advance and we still do that now. Um, but I guess for me it was just getting my head around the fact that I wasn't dating a normal boyfriend that, you know, came home and you got to sleep next to every night and had weekends off and you could plan barbecues with friends and, and stuff like that. So I guess I was very independent within myself before I met mm. Eric. Mm. I'd had seven years being single and I was that girl that did eat, pray, love, literally. Mm. Um, so I was okay with being invited to, you know, friends' barbecues and weddings and that and getting and Eric on the invite and being like, it's just me. Eric's working this weekend or whatever it may be. So um, it's like it was – I was okay with that. I guess mm-hmm. I made my peace with the fact that I went to more events by myself than yep. with my partner. Right. Um, it was getting my head around the shift work and the different terminology around each of the shifts, particularly now I'm still kind of learning what each – like what D1, D2, D3 for day shifts means and all of that. So I'm still kind of getting my head around that. But it's, you know, Eric would explain it to me and it's just having that understanding that like, okay, so it means that you're in charge of the department or you're in recess or E means you're on an evening shift so you're going to be home late or whatever that is. Um, What disco shifts mean, disco shifts are awful, evil, evil things. (laughs) They are just horrendous. Um, So I guess that was kind of really the main challenge was, you know, I met Eric when he was in his Coming up on his final year of being a senior reg, he was doing a lot of night shifts. He also travelled. He wasn't, you know, 10, 15 minutes from work. He was an hour and a half drive either way. Um, And then trying to find the time, which is sad as it is, you couldn't really do things on impulse, could you? It was all well and truly planned in advance. I did do a few trips up to Toowoomba to see you, but (laughs) it um, it was very much planned in advance I had a few frustrating moments didn't I where I got I was like I just want you to be normal um, <laughs> just have a normal job um, but you get you get used to you know going to bed by yourself or sleeping in a bed by yourself or if you not you get two cats like mm-hmm. I did um, which are no company at all by the way a dog I think you need a dog, a dog yeah. would have been better yeah definitely <laughs> but um, that's alright my cats are fine they're my people <laughs> They greet you at the door when you come home. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I guess because I don't like to compare myself to my friends, but I look at myself Mm. and how – and, I, you know, I travelled the world by myself and I was happy to visit places by myself and stay in hotels and backpackers by myself. So I I was okay with spending a lot of time by myself and being in social situations by myself where I know – a lot of my mm. friends in my social circle, mm. they're not that way inclined. Yeah. Um, and I like to tell people, particularly non-medical people that think it's awesome to date mm. someone in the medical profession, mm-hmm. they have rose-coloured Grey's Anatomy tinted glasses on. Yeah. Um, 
and they see that show and they think it's so awesome to that an ED doctor because mm. they race in, they go into surgery, <laughs> but everyone walks out at 6 p.m. and goes to the nearest bar for happy hour and that does not happen, <laughs> like, at all. Um, we would like it to. I'd love you to finish work at 6 so that we can go and get an after-work drink, but it very rarely happens. So I guess they were just the the big challenges was just time and particularly when I first met you because you were studying to sit your fellowship exams any spare time that you had was spent studying Hmm. um so you know it would be regularly me coming over with takeaway or cooking dinner once I got there Hmm. and sitting as they're accepted flashcards Hmm. um or looking up something in a textbook because Hmm. he didn't get it so there was not a lot of going out in the beginning Hmm. um but worth it in the end because you got through clean so now we get to relish in the the aftermath i guess is the best way mm. yes so no is that everything that's pretty much the big challenges hey and um can we talk about so you mentioned a lot of like the challenges through um when eric was going mm-hmm. through his exams but post that i'm sure there were times when there were social events by eric's colleagues and things like that uh, was there anything in particular um that helped you with um those sort of, sort of situations apparently eric talks about me a lot at work <laughs> So when we got to, for example, like farewell parties of directors yeah. and whatnot, yeah. and Eric was like, this is my partner, Leah. They were like, oh, hi, we've heard so much about you. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so we learned very quickly that Eric talks about me a lot at work. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric is actually really good, and it's probably a piece of advice I would give doctors that are dating someone not medical, sitting there, because you're in these confined spaces yeah. with your peers um, and colleagues for such long periods of time, for days on end or, you know, over a period of time, you get to know, you know, things about them like they have four cats or they have a really unhealthy obsession with orchids or whatever it may be. And so Eric's really good at picking up on that and going, well, this is Kathy, just for example, just plucking name out of there, mm-hmm. and her entire garden is nothing but orchids. And I'd be like, oh, my God, tell me everything because I'm also obsessed with orchids. <laughs> so he would be really good in saying like, this is my director or this yep. is, you know, yep. whoever it may be. Yep. And then a little bit about them that I, you know, either that we have something in common yep. or that he knew I would just have an interest in that we could sort of spark a, a general conversation. All right. So now, Eric, what challenges did you face um, being in a relationship with someone not in the same profession as you? I think it's not so much being medical dating someone non-medical. It's being in any highly technical industry, dating someone who's not in the industry. And while I don't pretend to know anything about coding, I would imagine that somebody who codes programs coming home and saying, I had this line and it was this issue and this is how I solved it, being really exciting and interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, then having a very blank expression coming back of, uh, so you changed a Q to an L and suddenly everything worked. I don't understand why that's interesting. Uh, coming to the world of medicine and, and especially, you know, we all talk about those events that are 
exciting to us and interesting to us. And in the sphere of emergency medicine, that tends to be resuscitation. In the sphere of resuscitation, it usually has to do with hemodynamic optimization. And when you're talking about the intricacies of inotropes versus vasopressors versus chronotropes, and you're talking about how you're optimizing heart rate and blood pressure and flow versus pressure and, and all of these items, there is several years of understanding behind that simple mm. idea of, oh, and then we changed from NORAD to adrenaline and the heart rate came up and it is what makes what we do technically interesting. But to another person, they're like, well, you changed an L to a Q and now the web page doesn't crash. Like I failed to see like, yay. <laughs> um, so that's the first challenge is there's so much shorthand that we engage in within any one specialty. This isn't necessarily an emergency medicine thing. I would imagine that a, a surgeon would use quite a few shorthands explaining mm. the technique of entry and the technique mm. of uh, division and mm. how they approach something. Mm -hmm. And they would use shorthand. And they get to where they are and get jump forward in the story to there very quickly by using that shorthand. And that shorthand doesn't exist to someone who's not within your own technical sphere. So as uh, someone who's been in healthcare for quite a while, I was a paramedic in 2001 in California. Um, I've been doing this for a while. The lexicon and the background is there. Mm. And when I think, I think in that lexicon. I think in that background. I think with that. When I then go to explain something, I find that it takes me five minutes to get to the point where I can start the story. And then the story's not very interesting <laughs> anymore. It's a, it's, a, it's a good story for 30 seconds. It's not a good story for five minutes and 30 seconds. So that is the first challenge. The second challenge is the reality of healthcare. And yes, this is emergency medicine, but it, it's not just emergency medicine. Is that sometimes very bad things happen to people. Mm -hmm. And you're there when very bad things happen to people. Um, and it's hard to explain that to someone. It's hard to say, I was there when someone died today. Um, it's, it's hard to say, I had to tell someone they had cancer of the everything. There is no way that it is easy to say to someone, those hopes you had, those dreams you had, they're not going to happen now. And sometimes you come home and all you want to do is dump a little bit. And Leah's very good at listening to that. Like, she's absolutely my rock when it comes to that. But sometimes you want to come home and say, I had a bad day, and I don't want to talk about it right now, but I had a really bad day. And it's, it becomes unfair on your partner to say, I had a really bad day, and I don't want to talk about it. Because that's an easy thing to say, and that's a very understandable emotion to have. But the flip side of that is, what are you asking them to do? Because was you had a really bad day, you were left with a too hard basket and short stay and you had to sort it for six hours and it was just bloody frustrating because everyone had chronic low back pain and the physiotherapist was on leave. Or was it you had a fight with an inpatient team over something you shouldn't have had a fight about? Or was it you had a whole bunch of old police statements you had to make or did you do CPR on an eight-month-old that didn't work? Because all of those are really bad days, mm. but they're different. Mm. And so 
it is difficult to know that you're putting your partner in that situation, that you are saying, I need you to be there for me and I know you're happy to be there for me, but I can't even explain to you what I need you to do for me right now, even though I know you want to. So that's the, the main challenge. The other challenge is um, when we first started dating, I, I tried very hard and I continue to a certain extent to try not to tell people what I do. Right. Um, being a doctor is not what you do, it's who you are. And as soon as it comes out that you're a doctor, especially if you're a specialist, there are certain assumptions that are made about you. There are assumptions, and some of them are correct, around income, around social status, around education level, around you know what you will and won't tolerate. That just within social circles, it becomes a little that that becomes what you discuss, mm-hmm. and that is not necessarily what you want to discuss. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I remember at one point I was mentioning that I worked a lot of nights, and Leah said, "Oh, are you in a band?" <laughs> and I remember sitting still the funniest moment of our day in history <laughs> I still remember thinking I wish because that would be so cool <laughs> no I'm not that cool I'm just a doctor who's working in a baby hospital you know it was, it was, you know, it was one of those things that um, you know realizing what I really wish I was was a bass player yeah. um, not because I have any musical talent whatsoever but I just like the idea of sitting in the back and just yeah. strumming away because yeah. he told me he worked a lot of late nights and a lot of weekends and yeah. I went oh are you a musician in a band that plays in pubs like Friday and Saturday nights <laughs> not quite no <laughs> the other end of the spectrum yeah. I don't know I don't know that it's the other end of the spectrum but it's certainly distinctly different mm. um what are the other challenges? The other challenges are there is no way not to try to bring them along right. to um, teach a little bit and to educate around medicine, that shorthand and that lexicon, because then you can have these conversations a little bit faster. But then you, you find that you're almost training someone mm-hmm. that you should simply be living with. Mm-hmm. And that's a bit odd. It, it sets up a differential that's not quite fair. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to have conversations when something comes up about, hey, I saw this thing on name social media platform mm-hmm. about insert controversial medical topic and to not dominate that conversation. Because it is a conversation, but the simple reality is if we're going to discuss something medical, I have a certain amount of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't mean that my opinion is more valued, mm. but my knowledge is more. Mm. Um, and so then it becomes hard to have a conversation around the thing that I do without falling into that education lexicon. And a large part of what you do as a senior doctor is train junior doctors. It's a big part of what we do. It's a major part of our role, and it's something I relish, and I've taught for years in, in all sorts of capacities. And it's very hard not to fall into that educational style, which then comes across as if you didn't, you know, if you'd like to not tell me how to suck eggs, that would be nice. Um, because I, I know that it can come across as being somewhat uh, patronizing. Mm-hmm. And that's never the goal. So, what do I recommend for other people who date outside of their sphere? As in, if you're going, if you're a medical person, and you plan to date someone who is non-medical, 
realize that it may be a big part of your life, but it doesn't have to be. And it is okay to be outside your comfort zone right. um, and to discuss things that you don't know um, and to have those conversations. It's very hard as a doctor to show weakness. It's very hard as a doctor to show lack of knowledge. It is very hard to do that. It's just part of the sort of people who become doctors are the sort of people yeah. who have trouble saying, I don't know. Yeah. And so then when we come in and Leah says, I'm going to buy some orchids. And my first instinct is, but we kill orchids. We try not to kill orchids, but orchids die. And I don't like killing things. And, and, and when I have plants, they die. And orchids are hard to come across not sounding like rain men. And um, to say, I don't know how to do this. This is not my thing. Um, for those who are wondering, orchids are actually not that hard to look after as long as you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, so it, it is important to also show that weakness and to show that I don't know thing um, and to give the equality to the relationship that all relationships have to have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't work unless there's a degree of equality. Now that is a wrap on part one of the episode. Check in next week for more of Eric and Leah's story. If you don't want to miss out on this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button or sign up to our newsletter and we will alert you when part two goes live. If you really enjoyed this episode and would like to leave us a review, please head on over to iTunes and do so. It will really help us out. And if you really, really, really like this episode and would love to hear more, head on over to our website. That's www.juniordoctorscorner.com.